Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Don Sadaway, who's the John F. Elliott Professor of Material Chemistry at MIT, where he's been on the faculty for 44 years, soon to become emeritus, but still a full-fledged faculty member. Hi, Don. Thanks for joining with us. My pleasure to be here, Marty. So we're really here to talk about all things energy storage. Don is one of the leading thinkers and developers of new technology for energy storage, and there's a lot happening on that front. So without further ado, Don, um, let me just, by way of background and, and to kind of launch our conversation, you're a founder of Ambry, Boston Metal, Sataway Labs, Avanti Battery, Pure Lithium, and Lunar Resources, if I have them all. If not, uh, I'll stand corrected. Tell me why all these startups and what are they up to? Well, the startups uh, came about because of uh, discoveries. Um, I, unlike some people in this arena that are you know, dusting off some old technology, taking a new run at it, uh, everything that I've been working on is a new discovery. And I want to have science and service uh, to society. And that means I have to uh, commercialize the technology. Uh, step one, of course, is to publish in uh, the highest ranking journals that I can uh, to make sure that people see that the discovery has been uh, subjected to intense scrutiny. But then it comes time to commercialize in order to have it available for society. And each of those companies has a story behind it. Can you give us a 30,000-foot story on each one? Just a sentence or two, really, just so we have the scope. Yeah. Uh, Ambria it seems like the most recent startup. So Ambria is actually the, the rebranding of the Liquid Metal Battery Corporation, which we started in 2010. And it was to commercialize the liquid metal battery, uh, which I invented at MIT uh, around 2007, 2008. And by 2010, we knew that we had reduced it to practice. And two of my students came to me and said, it's time for startup. And here we are. And uh, Boston Metal? Uh, similar story. I had been working on uh, electrolytic production of steel as, as uh, early as the late 1980s when people would laugh at the notion that you would use electricity to make uh, primary steel, starting with iron ore. And uh, I persevered. And uh, around about uh, 2011, with a uh, uh, postdoc, we discovered a practical inert anode uh, with no platinum group metals. It was an iron chromium alloy, and that would allow us to evolve oxygen. And we said, it's time to start a company to commercialize green steel. And even, even in 2012, 2013, this was viewed as a little bit silly, but today... Uh, green steel is very much a topic of conversation. Sataway Labs? Uh, this is the latest. Uh, this started it last year. Um, in spite of all the other uh, companies, um, which are all uh, commercializing uh, discoveries, I decided to accelerate the rate of discovery. So Sataway Labs is designed to be a, a skunk work, sort of a fusion of uh, 
Arthur D. Little and uh, Bell Labs, where I can go out in the in the back and in very short order uh, do some uh, quick experiments to see if something is uh, uh, feasible, as opposed to writing proposals and waiting for the nonsensical, nasty reviews and and begging for money, but rather to have the the funds on hand to to move quickly. And so Sadaway Labs is supposed to be the the discovery generator for the next uh, uh, litter of companies. Avanti Battery? Sounds like a a wine. What inspired the name? Well, I I drove the Avanti automobile for uh, many years. Uh, I've always loved that uh, beautiful design by Raymond Lowy. And uh, I knew that if I had the the chance, I wanted to name Ambry Avanti, but there was a hair salon on Newbury Street called Avanti. And so Phil Giudici said, we can't go with Avanti. I said, they're not going to confuse us with a hair salon. But anyways, (laughs) so now I had the freedom to name it Avanti. And this was a, a discovery. Um, of, a, of a new battery chemistry, uh, lithium-free. It's uh, aluminum as the negative and sulfur is the positive and no volatile flammable electrolyte. It's a molten salt electrolyte, low melting molten salt. And uh, with the discovery of the aluminum sulfur battery, I knew I had the elements for a, for a company and that's what Avanti is about. Pure lithium? Pure lithium, I was uh, invited to join the forces with... Uh, uh, Emily Bodwin, who had been working at Argonne Labs on a technology to uh, extract lithium from brines and to go in one step to deposit lithium as a metal on copper, thereby uh, extracting lithium and fabricating the lithium metal electrode in, in uh, one step. And uh, she wanted to start a company, and she reached out to me because of my deep knowledge in non-aqueous electrochemistry and electrometallurgy. And so uh, we joined forces, and uh, I'm actually sitting right now at the uh, uh, world headquarters of uh, Pure Lithium. And uh, it's, it's uh, moving forward with this uh, very efficient, low-cost extraction process for lithium metal. And uh, the last on my list is Lunar Resources. Yeah, so Lunar Resources, this was started by Elliot Carroll down in um, uh, Houston with myself and uh, Alex uh, Ignatieff, who is a professor at the University of Houston, worked in photovoltaics. And um, we wanted to take a look at how we might exploit uh, lunar surface for... uh, various products right there using local resources. And they, they were aware of some of my early work on molten oxide electrolysis with NASA to generate oxygen on the moon. And they said, uh, we read that you're also generating iron and silicon. Have you ever thought about uh, extracting silicon for f- uh, photovoltaic cells? And uh, so we joined forces and, and that was the, the genesis of lunar resources. So if I have you right on this, future extraction of minerals from the moon is its business plan? Yeah, that's correct. And please don't ask me more business questions. I, I have the humility to say I, I'm not the business uh, mind here. I'm, I'm the electrochemist. If you want to know more about that, uh, I refer you to Elliot Carroll. Okay, so we have diverse enterprises here. Um, could you tell me just collectively for all of them, are any of them generating revenue yet? What's the magnitude of revenue collectively for all of them? So um, the, the the oldest is Ambry, and uh, it's it's on the verge of uh, 
releasing first product into customer hands. Uh, we have been manufacturing, but we have to be exhaustively testing to make sure that uh, the durability is there. We don't want to suffer the embarrassment of uh, having a, uh, a battery get into customer hands and fail prematurely. So, um, so it's, it's ready. We've got customers. We've got a big order book um, and customers coming from various sectors, and we can get into that if you, if you want to probe uh, deeper. And then next in line, I think, is uh, uh, Boston Metal, which is now uh, building uh, industrial prototype cells to extract uh, liquid iron from iron ore. And right here in Woburn, Massachusetts, about uh, two miles from where I'm sitting, is a 25,000 ampere cell that is uh, turning ore into liquid metal and oxygen as the byproduct. And they're they're on the path to upscale. So um, let's say 2025, they should be at uh, industrial installation pouring liquid metal. And people will be fighting over who's going to get to use true green steel in their, their products, whether they're appliances, automobiles, what have you. So your expertise is electrochemistry and non-aqueous media. Um, to what extent does that expertise touch all of these enterprises and for the non-chemist among us could you describe what that means well marty you're absolutely correct it uh, that's the unifying feature of all of the work that i've been doing uh, and continue to do it's not aqueous electrochemistry um, water is a fantastic solvent uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation you and i if it weren't for water uh, but when it comes to industrial electrochemistry i i'm not interested in water it's low voltage, uh, low current. Um, I know some people like aqueous flow batteries. They like metal air batteries. I, I just have no interest in that stuff. So, uh, you know, early on in my career, I was drawn to industrial electrochemistry as it applies to metal production. So things like aluminum, magnesium, uh, they're extracted in tonnage amounts using electricity, but the electrolyte is not an aqueous solution. It's not a water-based solution. It is a molten salt. So instead of dissolving salt in water, you take the salt up to high temperature and you melt it. And that's how we make the worldwide uh, aluminum, is by molten salt electrolysis. And I became smitten by that field. It's uh, different from aqueous electrolysis. There are, there are some uh, similarities, but there are important differences. And... Uh, the operating at temperatures for aluminum, it's almost 1,000 degrees Celsius. Uh, and then I became fearless, and with the molten oxide electrolysis, we take a iron ore, which is an iron oxide, and I say, well, like dissolves like. So if you have an iron oxide, then you need a molten oxide as the solvent. And we went up to 1,650 degrees to, to dissolve uh, iron ore in a molten oxide solvent. And people said, you're crazy. And I said... Yeah, just crazy enough that this might be uh, fitting. And that's, that's what we have. And we make liquid iron. By the way, all tonnage metal, iron, magnesium, uh, copper, uh, aluminum, these are all made as liquid metals. Nobody electrodeposits solid metal and makes tonnage metal. If you make solid metal like titanium, that's why titanium is so expensive because the, the process by which we make it is, is so inefficient. And so that's what drew me to this. And then around about 2005, uh, 
one of my colleagues came to me and he said, you know, you've been doing all this work on uh, uh, molten salts and high temperature electrochemistry. Have you ever thought about any transferable skills that might apply to batteries? And I, around about that time, I started thinking about stationary storage on a massive scale. And that's what the, 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 the first step was in my thinking towards the invention of the liquid metal battery. And then I've just continued on that path. So that really gets us to the heart of why I want to talk to you. I don't think a lot of folks outside the energy industry realize we're on the cusp of a major deployment of energy storage. According to federal figures at the U.S. EIA, um, there are about 1,600 uh, megawatts of uh, storage as of 2020. By 2023, that's going to reach 12,000 megawatts. Um, a significant tenfold increase from just 2019 levels. Do you see uh, this as being transformational in a way that people in the industry and outside maybe don't realize yet? Oh, I think you're right. Uh, because, you know, the, the, the original model of the grid, and it is fantastic. I mean, some people have, have said that the grid is the most remarkable engineering uh, feat of the, of the 20th century. Um, this, this gigantic thing, and it has to operate so that supply equals demand everywhere at all times. It's not just generation, it's transmission, it's distribution. It's just amazing that the thing works. Um, but now we want to go to carbon-free uh, generation of electricity, and that uh, leads us to solar and wind, which are intermittent. And we have to deal with the intermittency. Nobody wants green electricity that's only available part-time. They want it all the time. So that means storage. And no one has ever had the challenge of, of storing, you know, thousands of, of, of megawatt hours of electricity. So as, as we meet that challenge, we have new design opportunities. And the biggest one that, that I see is that uh, we don't have to put the storage right next to the generator. So let's say you have this gigantic solar array, uh, but the load center where, where most of the electricity is being consumed is, is in the city. So why would you put the storage next to the solar arrays in the country? Why not put the storage distributed all over the city? And, and this gives, I think, uh, untold uh, resiliency, and it's going to make our grid even better. So you see storage being deployed across metro areas and near residential areas, industrial areas, commercial areas? I do, provided it's correctly uh, designed. It's not going to be lithium-ion because lithium-ion is unsafe and no fire marshal is going to allow you to put, you know, 100 megawatt hour storage capacity in a, in a downtown urban area. But... A liquid metal battery, you bet. Liquid metal battery could be in the basement of every one of the skyscrapers in Manhattan. So this, this ramp up to 12,000 megawatts by 2023. By the way, I, I venture to guess you're saying that's just the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. Um, how much of it, at least initially, the first year or two, will be conventional uh, technology? How much would the new technology uh, be what kind of role will that be playing, and how long will it take to scale it up? Well, Marty, again, you're right. I think uh, in in the race to get something into the marketplace, 
uh, they will they will go ahead with lithium ion, just as they've been using lithium ion in automobiles, which I think is insane. But it's it's the best technology that we have. Um, but let, let, let's go back to, uh, say, 1990, where we had nickel metal hydride technology was the dominant storage battery technology. And around about um, 88, 89, everybody had their very first phones. They weren't smartphones. They were the candy bars or flip phones. And they had their very first uh, portable computers. And they were all running nickel metal hydride. And people adopted it because it was the best that we had at the time. But as soon as lithium-ion emerged, everybody switched to lithium-ion. All the hard work had been done. The, the, the phone is agnostic. It doesn't care where the electrons come from. And we're going to see the same thing with massive stationary storage. People are going to start using whatever technology is out there right now. And then as soon as something better comes along, they'll jump to it. So I'm, I'm optimistic about a uh, liquid metal battery because once people realize what this thing can do, and it's been demonstrated at scale, you know, the, the, Marty, the thing here is it's, you know, in this capital-intensive, risk-averse sector, uh, nobody wants to be first when it comes to radical innovation. Everybody wants to be first to be second. Once they've seen that it works and they have a third party that can give attestation and say, this stuff really works, then everybody's going to line up. As our, one of our reigning experts on the topic, how long do you think it'll be before that dawns on people that it works? Let's switch over. I think it's going to come as, at some point in the next uh, two or three years because Amri is planning on, on releasing its first product into customer hands uh, by this time next year. And it's going to be somebody that's going to be uh, surprising. I can't name names just yet, but um, uh, let's just say it's... it's uh, it's going to be a, a user, a heavy user of electricity in a commercial enterprise that involves uh, a lot of data processing, cloud computing, stuff like that. And they want to be 100% green, and they have the, 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 the intelligence not to spend money on a lithium-ion deployment. And once, once they can say, yeah, this thing really works, uh, then it's going to be uh, high-speed uh, production for Ambry. Let's get back to the basement of all the skyscrapers in Manhattan. Sure. How long until an appreciable uh, share of them have liquid metal batteries in their basement or on-premises? Well, it, it, it comes back to the first acceptance by, uh, by the market that uh, liquid metal battery really works. And so after that first deployment occurs with the data centers, at that point, people are going to start saying, does this thing have the p potential to go inside a basement of a skyscraper uh, but th they're going to have to see that first because you know I, as I said earlier Marty if you, you try to put gigantic storage inside a building in Manhattan the first line of defense is going to be the, the fire marshal and that fire marshal has to be 100% secure in his belief that that technology is safe and uh, once once that uh, fire marshal is is uh, Satisfied, that's, uh, that's green light, red carpet. So once these batteries are ubiquitous, let's say it starts in two, three years, and it's a significant ramp, out, ramp up after that, yeah. what is that going to do to solar and wind energy deployments in this country? Do you think they'll explode significantly beyond their current level? Uh, 
I would I would expect so, but honestly, Marty, I don't follow that end of the industry, so I'm not sure whether uh, frustration with uh, storage is in some way holding them back or not. But to the extent that it is holding them back, then absolutely, uh, getting that obstacle out of the path is going to be uh, advantageous. So you you've been in this field, as I said earlier, for f- more than four decades. Yeah. Uh, what's your sense of the pace of innovation and deployment now versus earlier in your career? Well, things have changed a lot. I mean, first of all, there's an appreciation for the problem. I don't, I don't think people even understood how the grid worked. I think they thought that even as recently as, as 15 years ago, they thought, well, solar's cool. It, it's like uh, additional water. You know, you, it, it gives us added electricity. No, it doesn't. If, if, if supply exceeds demand, it's not a bonus. It's a problem because then the voltage is wrong. The frequency is wrong. What's worse than no electricity? It's bad electricity. Every time you plug in your device, you, you, you blow the motor. And I don't mean blow the fuse. You fry the motor. And so only over time did people appreciate that uh, yeah, storage is critical if we're going to use the uh, uh, intermittent renewables. Um, and then, you know, the pace of innovation, um, I, I have to say this carefully, uh, you know, it, at some level it saddens me to see that the, that the majority of uh, efforts in the large-scale stationary storage are, are looking to, to, to legacy chemistries. I mean, people are still using lithium-ion. Lithium-ion burst on the stage probably around 1991. Um, so I, I'm not going to say that there's been a lot of innovation. Uh, in fact, even in lithium-ion, the innovation has all been in the manufacturing. The, the, the price has come down so much. I mean, as, as recently as 2010, it was still priced at $1,000 a kilowatt hour, and now it's, now it's below $200 a kilowatt hour. And it's not because of new changes in the chemistry. It's because of just becoming more and more proficient at manufacturing. But, uh, you know, we see the folly of this, which is the uh, growing demand for the lithium-ion chemistry, which means we have supply chains uh, tied so tautly right now that they're practically snapping. The nickel, manganese, cobalt, graphite, um, even lithium itself. If you take a look, you go back to your projections, Marty, and, and do a back-of-the-envelope calculation. What are the tonnages of all of these battery metals that we're going to need? And I didn't even say anything about copper, which is, you know, all of this stuff has to be wired, and the wiring is copper, and copper itself is under uh, d- d- demand far in excess of supply. So, you know, this is an opportunity for innovation. I'm working on Avanti. The aluminum sulfur battery is no cobalt, no nickel, no manganese, no volatile flammable electrolyte, no graphite. Forget the silicon. This is no lithium. Hmm. Aluminum and sulfur with a molten salt electrolyte, you can go into your backyard and, and make this stuff. Why aren't people thinking about this? Because they're all wrapped around the axle of a familiarity. Right. Well... Don, uh, congratulations, by the way. Last month, you were named a finalist 
for the 2022 European Innovator Award that's awarded by the European Patent Office. Reflect a little bit now that you're stepping down as professor. Yeah. I, I don't see you as a man that's going to go out and play golf. I think you're going to be engaged in all these enterprises, maybe starting a few more. Um, you, you are a descendant of Ukrainian parents. And I'm sure that's given you pause on, on the state of the world. Correct. Where do you see yourself right now in terms of making a contribution that, that's meaningful with your life? Well, I, I got to play to my strengths, and uh, I, I understand uh, non-aqueous electrochemistry, and I think that there are more contributions that can be made in uh, making a, uh, a sustainable and profitable uh, world, uh, putting, putting people to work in uh, valuable and, and uh, well-paying jobs, and, um, and at the same time decarbonizing, deep decarbonization. And uh, you're absolutely correct. I'm, I'm not a golfer. Uh, I don't intend to sit on the veranda in a rocking chair. Uh, I'm, I'm moving aggressively. I've had a good run at MIT. It's been 44 years of teaching, research, mentoring. Um, but I found last year on sabbatical I could go much faster. And um, uh, I still have uh, a lot of ideas, and I want get, to get them moving quickly. The last thing I want to do is to write a proposal and send it to some agency in Washington. I'm done with that. Thank you, Don. We've been talking to Don Sadaway. Thanks for joining us, Don. My pleasure, Marty. You ask good questions. Thanks, Don. Don is professor of material chemistry at MIT, soon to be professor emeritus, and in no hurry to slow down. Thank you for listening to Grid Talk. You may send your feedback or questions to us at gridtalk at nrel.gov, and we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For more information or to subscribe, visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.